Welcome to the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Cranson. Today, I'm going to be doing another legislative rundown. Some important bills to transportation are either in the process or have moved in the Michigan legislature so far this spring. I'm pleased to have with me again, Troy Hagan, the Director of Government Affairs for MDOT to help explain uh, the process and where those things stand. And then also Arnie Frobum, who's a senior policy analyst and studies these bills and gives us his analyses as, as they make their way from introduction and to the floor. And he always has some good insight to share. Thank you both for being here. Oh, hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for having us. Let's start with you, Troy. Uh, would you call this a, a fairly busy session as far as transportation legislation goes? Yes, things are just starting to uh, heat up now after the legislature has returned from their uh, annual spring break. Uh, prior to spring break, transportation-wise, the legislature was really focused on educating uh, the new members on the uh, respective uh, transportation policy and appropriation subcommittees of uh, transportation funding and the stakeholders that each are engaged in transportation issues. But those have now wrapped up and we are fully engaged in uh, legislation being taken up by both the Senate and the House committees. So part of that pre-work is you and uh, sometimes I go along and the director meeting with the various chairs and the committee members to explain what the priorities are and what these bills would do. And um, it sounds like that's paid good dividends. There's been a lot of interest. People um, want to know, obviously, what they're getting into. So that's been helpful. Yes, I could not agree with you more, Jeff. We did a um, a whole host of meet and greets with members from the Senate and House Transportation Committees and then the Senate and House uh, Appropriation Subcommittees for Transportation. Um, and it was really many of the members' first, you know, meeting with Acting Director Weefrick, myself, and, and you, Jeff, and we were able to educate them on our legislative priorities for this term, introduce ourselves, and, and introduce uh, MDOT and our MDOT colleagues and and the valuable work that we do to the legislature. So those have really paid a lot of dividends and I feel starting to form a lot of good working relationships with not only members on our committees, but the leadership of both the Senate and the House. So Arnie, when we talk about the bills that had horsepower, as you say, you know, one of the first enacted signed by the governor was uh, House Bill 4007, which dealt with prevailing wage. That didn't have necessarily a huge effect on MDOT since the projects that MDOT does are primarily with federal aid and Davis-Bacon already ensures that kind of wage standard. But tell us about that bill and, and what it really means. Yeah, as you say, it's not, not strictly an MDOT issue, but it's the state version of a federal law that requires publicly funded construction projects to, to pay the union scale wage. So it imposes restrictions on all our contractors and uh, requires them to certify the wages that are being paid, which we would have to do anyway, since virtually all of our big projects uh, are federally aided. 
So it's a um, it's a divisive issue in in some quarters because it's alleged that the uh, the combined state and federal laws unnecessarily drive up the cost of public construction. But it's something that we've gotten along with now for well since the 1930s when it was enacted. So it's uh, it, it won't make an appreciable change in in our program or in our budgets or in our administration. And then we've got some some pretty important bills that uh, that we've followed very closely that deal with you know the safety of workers, protecting the workers that are you know in in the danger zones doing this this work, this road work. Could you uh, give an overview first, Troy, of where Senate Bill 43 stands? Uh, the the one dealing with you know the the I guess enhanced use of concrete barrier, and then I'll ask Arnie to give us his analysis of the bill. Certainly, Jeff. So Senate Bill 43 has been moved from the Senate over to the House. So now it's awaiting a hearing in the House Standing Committee on Transportation. So it's already moved through one chamber of the legislature and is in the uh, second chamber. So Arnie, what uh, what what's your synopsis, your take on Senate Bill 43? Well, this and most of the other bills we'll be talking about uh, were very close to passage in the last legislature. But after the election and after the two houses changed hands, uh, the last legislature pretty much gave up and went home. So the bills that we're seeing now are uh, the bills as they stood at the end of 2022. And this is one of them. What it would do is update a 1917 law that dictates how the department goes about closing roads during reconstruction. It would make a, a couple of uh, very limited but but still noticeable changes. It would apply only on freeway closures by this department. And uh, and what it would do is that if uh, if we close part of a freeway, including a shoulder or a lane at night, the construction workers would have to be separated from the from the passing traffic by a concrete barrier or something similar. That's not too different from our current practice, which uh, is always aimed at guaranteeing worker safety. But this would set firm rules about uh, about when concrete barriers are used, although it does give the department flexibility to to come up with alternative plans for, for a project that, that has really unusual characteristics. Temporary closures are not covered, but uh, but where freeway work is conducted at night, it would have to be behind the concrete barriers. Troy, this <clears throat> grows out of a, you know, a, a, a spike in in crashes in work zones, uh, really a few years ago, um, and just a renewed concern, I guess, heightened concern among uh, the various labor unions that do the road work and and some of the contractors too. Can you talk a little bit about the hard work uh, it took to to get these over the finish line? Certainly. So with any uh, piece of legislation or most pieces of legislation, I should say, they're introduced and then there's hard work by both the department and stakeholders to get them into a fashion that is actually would allow implementation by the department. So we worked diligently last term with with uh, the sponsor and again, this legislative term with the sponsor, Senator John Cherry from Genesee County, and the operating engineers, as well as um, MDOT, uh, st- or MDOT colleagues, um, to get this into a position to be able to, to actually 
have it implement, you know, implementation would be possible by the department. So um, all parties, you know, really worked uh, together well um, in a series of virtual meetings where we talked through issues and drafted language uh, that allowed for for implementation. So we moved from a position of when this concept first was introduced to the department, we moved from a concept of opposition to uh, being able to support it. So, you know, we're just watching now when it will be taken up by the House Transportation uh, Committee uh, and then move on to through the full house and onto the governor's desk. Do you feel pretty good about the prognosis right now? Yes. Yeah, I think I, I don't think there should be any issues with Senate Bill 43 being signed into law by the governor. So let's talk about a couple others that are tied together. And uh, again, going to Arnie's point, came very close to, to making it over the line back in the uh, 2022 session, but didn't. And those are House Bills 41, 32, and 33, which uh, we've talked a lot about. Um, probably generates more media interest than any of these other bills. And that has to deal with uh, cameras in the work zones and automated speed enforcement. Uh, we've talked to several other states, uh, closest being Illinois, which has done this for quite a while and, and has statistics to show that it really makes a difference in terms of getting people to slow down when they're driving through those those areas where people are working. Where does that where, where do those stand right now, Troy? And then Arnie, I'm going to ask you to give an analysis again. So both of those bills were actually referred to the House Standing Committee on Regulatory Reform. Uh, the House, the Committee on Regulatory Reform took testimony on those and voted those out of committee last week. So those are now uh, on the House floor to be taken up at some point in the future by the full House. Michigan State Police is, is lead agency on those bills. MDOT is uh, second chair. And we are, along with other uh, stakeholders, we have provided some feedback to both of the sponsors of those bills uh, that we think would improve those bills and improve the implementation of those bills. Uh, so we're just continuing to work with those sponsors and to hopefully make an um, amendment to to the proposed legislation that would just, uh, you know, make it a much better overall state statute moving forward. So can you break those bills down, Arnie, and uh, kind of give us a summation of what they would do? Well, they're a, they're a departure from a, a longstanding uh, policy in Michigan law, which has been to uh, prohibit the use of cameras to enforce traffic law. This would... Uh, It'd be a very limited application. It could only be done jointly by this department and Michigan State Police in MDOT construction zones. It won't be usable by um, cities or counties or any local agency. And it would apply only when workers are present in construction zones. And as you say, it's it seems to have been effective in at least a few other states in uh, in prompting drivers to slow down when otherwise they might not. The first bill, uh, 4132, is the main bill that creates the program and sets the rules for issuing the tickets to vehicle registrants by mail. The second one uh, covers the handling of the fines, which is also a departure from Michigan practice. Uh, 
for the first time, the fines would be payable back to the road agency, that is to MDOT for the, the administration of the camera system and restricted to uh, work zone safety improvements. Otherwise, under state law, uh, all traffic fines go to county libraries for violations of the state vehicle code. And it's kind of human nature that the the threat, the idea that you're, you know, being watched, that your speed's being monitored is going to make you slow down. I mean, much like, uh, you know, when a would-be thief sees uh, a sign at a, at a dwelling or a commercial enterprise that says it's protected by a security system. Um, and I think that's what other states have found. You probably, because you've studied these things a long time and followed them, uh, you try to analyze and account for that balance between what could actually help in terms of safety and protecting workers and what gets into infringing on people's rights. Um, but you feel like we've, we've gotten to a pretty good place with these bills? Yeah, I don't have much fear of, of improper use of, of cameras in this case. Uh, with respect to signs, uh, a late change to the bill requires a sign a mile in advance of the camera because the goal of the whole program is uh, is not to make money off the fines, but to reduce the violation rate to zero. So we'll have the, those signs to uh, give drivers forewarning that they might be being watched if there are construction workers at work there. Well, I know that uh, Association of Contractors, the Michigan Infrastructure and Transportation Association, MIDA, has been strongly supportive and testified in favor, and so have uh, some of the various labor groups. Um, so we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, made, made the bills made it out of the house, as Troy pointed out, and we'll see where they go from here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the the bills that deal with uh, railroad grade separations, um, which is a huge frustration for a lot of people in local communities. Um, Troy, can you talk a little bit about those and where those stand? So on the Senate side, Senate bills 124 and 125 uh, were taken up for testimony by the Senate Standing Committee on Transportation last Tuesday. They had overwhelming support, not only from uh, MDOT, but from a whole host of local uh, communities, local law enforcement in the downriver area of Wayne County. And they also received support from the Michigan Railroad Association. So, uh, I don't foresee any issues with those w- bills on the Senate side. Not, I believe that they will move out of Senate committee to uh, this or on April 25th um, and move to the full Senate. The House is bringing up the House version of those bills introduced by State Representative Jamie Churches from Gross Hill. Uh, so those bills will be before the House Standing Committee on Transportation on Tuesday for testimony, and I think it'll be that same wide support in the House from the same group of individuals, including MDOT and the Michigan Railroad Association. So I think that there will be a um, a, a package of bills that swaps both chambers, and I assume uh, Senator Camilleri will get one bill and Representative Churches will get another bill, so it'll be a bicameral public act that's signed into law. We are supportive of that, supportive of creating the program within MDOT's Office of Rail. But, of course, with any program of this nature and the huge need that is out there for this pro- for 
for grade separations along with the cost of grade separations. Um, the next thing that needs to fall into line is uh, an appropriation to fund the program. So, you know, we'll have the program established and then Representative Churches and Senator Camilleri will have to go to work to try to get us funding for the program. And we've always held strong that we certainly do not want that funding to come from existing, existing comprehensive transportation or MTF, STF funds, uh, that we want to make sure that this is new funding uh, because it will be primarily uh, new infrastructure that is built on the local system. Anything to add on that front, Arnie? Yeah, the money is the important part of this. Uh, the problem with great separation projects is that they're, they can be hugely expensive bridge projects, and they only benefit a, uh, a relatively constricted geographic area. So it's hard for the department or a uh, or a metropolitan planning agency to to program a, a project of that size. That's why some of these projects have been wanted for 40 or 50 years in some cases without without the money ever being found. So if um, if they're able to make an appropriation to this program that will build three or four or five of these projects, it'll be a uh, a big benefit to the territory involved. Can you think of the last place where a significant, uh, you know, grade separation flyover was was added in the state? There have been a very few. Uh, there was the one on Bristol Road, just north of the Flint Airport. There were two on uh, Farm Lane in East Lansing, which were funded by a, a special one-time federal handout. But beyond those, I, uh, I guess the only other one would be the reconstruction of the Miller Road bridge down near the Rouge plant in Dearborn. And again, that that's the subject of uh, very special use of federal funds. Yeah, that's a, it takes takes out of the ordinary funding to make one of these projects affordable. And as you point out, it, they're they're always you know kind of a parochial concern, but to the people that are affected, it's a it's a huge deal. I mean, if you're consistently delayed by trains, <laughs> it's a it's a very frustrating thing. And Jeff, I'd like to just add that I think the latest one that's being Worked on in, in the state is Allen Road in Wayne County, which is, again, as Arnie's pointed out, was was really able to happen because of a federal earmark from Congressman John Dingell. And state one-time funding was all pooled together to be able to get that one moving forward. Stay with us. We'll have more on the other side of this important message. Did you know that most work zone crashes are caused by inattentive motorists? It only takes a split second of distraction to dramatically change lives forever. The Michigan Department of Transportation reminds you to slow down, follow all signs, and pay attention when driving through work zones. Because all employees deserve a safe place to work. Work zone safety. We're all in this together. Well, let's talk about another one that uh, could be precedent setting and, and you know, show up uh, elsewhere in the state eventually. And that's uh, House Bills 4352 and 4353, which would make for high occupancy vehicle lanes on I-75 in Oakland County between South Boulevard and 12 Mile Road. You know, where do those stand, Troy? So those both of those bills were introduced uh, this week at the request of the department. and. They are going to be taken up in committee on Tuesday 
in the House Standing Committee on Transportation on Tuesday, April 25th. Uh, and it'll be Mark Dubay from the project manager for the I-75 modernization project. Myself and, and WSP will be presenting on to the uh, committee on the need for those and um, why we have requested that legislation and why we designed and built uh, segment three of the I-75 modernization project with HOV lanes. Talk about that, Arnie, what the, the history has been in Michigan and, and you know what this could mean. Yeah, these bills have been introduced uh, now in the last three legislatures at the department's request because we uh, have been developing the I-75 widening project in Oakland County with the expectation that it will contain an HOV lane that will be in operation during the morning and evening peak hours only. There have been a, uh, a carpool lane used in Michigan just once before, but after that project was concluded on uh, I-75 in Detroit, the language providing for enforcement of it was repealed. So what we have to do now before the I-75 project is done is uh, is reinsert that language into the vehicle code that, that gives the department the authority to, to limit the use of a lane to carpools or to other classes of vehicles like buses, uh, and then gives the police the ability to enforce the restriction. So... I guess, Troy, what do you think? Are we expecting some bipartisan support for for those? It's a little early to tell, um, but during our meet and greet meetings that we discussed earlier, there did not seem to be any opposition to them. Uh, it seemed to have bipartisan support when during our discussions, but we'll just really have to um, continue to work with, meet with members on, on those now that they've been introduced and then get a, the ultimate temperature will be able to be taken during committee on the 25th, but I don't foresee any issue with those moving forward. We have wide support from, you know, our consultant community on those and the department. So there's, you know, several different folks working on them all together. So finally, uh, this isn't really an MDOT bill because MDOT doesn't have enforcement powers, doesn't do law enforcement, but MDOT certainly is concerned about the crashes and the way that crashes continue to rise the last few years really, uh, I, I, I think I would say, accelerated by the pandemic um, after the numbers had been going down for a while. And, you know, continued distractions are, are definitely a factor in that. So, Arnie, talk about the uh, handhold, handheld cell prohibition that uh, is being discussed now. Yeah, this is a big, sophisticated package of three bills. But in brief, what it does is it it prohibits the use of handheld cell phones. Uh, sometimes it's misreported as, as banning the use of all cell phones in cars, but it doesn't do that, which of course makes sense because there would be no way to enforce uh, a hands-free cell phone. What these bills would prohibit is uh, holding a cell phone up to your ear or tapping the address by hand into a navigation screen or staring at a video or, uh, or texting. Uh, right now, the only thing that's prohibited really is texting while driving for auto drivers. Use of all cell phones is prohibited for heavy truck drivers and also uh, beginning drivers with a graduated license. These bills got a lot of work in the last legislature, and they eventually came to a a really good, really good package that uh, lines up with the uh, recommended practices of the National Cooperative Highway Research Program. So it's a it's a state of the art law that uh, came very close to passage last November, but was then dropped. 
but now it's been reintroduced in the same form and uh, and I really think that when it's passed it will uh, it'll have an effect similar to the seatbelt law when that was passed which um, was only partial compliance with the seatbelt law and and once people realized that they might possibly get a ticket for failing to put on a seatbelt, it drove seatbelt use well over 90% in Michigan. And, and uh, Michigan would join some 24 states that have these handheld bans. But going to your point about the, the seatbelts, I mean, or, you know, raising, lowering the standard for blood alcohol content from drunk drivers, do you see the federal government tying funding to states passing this kind of law? No, I've heard nothing along those lines uh, so far. As always, we, we hope they wouldn't. There are now, I think, 38 different ways in which your your federal aid can be withheld for uh, for failing to comply with congressional mandates and riding herd on those has become a, a real legal door. They'd be much better to just let the states proceed on their own. So we'll see where those go. Well, anything else, uh, you know, what do you guys want to say about uh, these bills broadly or the session? I just wanted to add in regards to the cell phone bills that I'd like to urge everyone if, if they have a chance to go to the House television site and uh, search out Tuesday, April 11th's committee hearing and watch that committee hearing. It was uh, some very riveting and emotional testimony and really crystallizes the issue of distracted driving so just um i think that a lot of people would find that of great interest of the organizations that testified and the individuals who testified who have lost loved ones due to distracted driving yeah we can we can link to those for sure well thank you both i appreciate you taking time to do this yeah, anytime thank, jeff thank you jeff i'd like to thank you once more for tuning in to talking michigan transportation you can find show notes and more on apple podcasts or buzzsprout I also want to acknowledge the talented people who help make this a reality each week, starting with Randy Debler, who skillfully edits the audio, Jesse Ball, who proofs the content, Courtney Bates, who posts the podcast to various platforms, and Jackie Salinas, who transcribes the audio to make it accessible to all.